Welcome back to Sysadminist Trivia, the podcast where, just like Windows Server, it takes us multiple restarts to get going properly. This is Brent. I'm Pro Plays Turner. I'm <laughs> Peyton. <laughs> now, wait. Dave, you're gonna need to explain to us what this Pro Plays Turner thing is. I don't is. know what it is. I was hanging out with some amigos, and we rented a Jeep and drove to several state parks in Colorado. At some point, it became fairly cold. Oh my gosh, cold. I'm already bored. Hurry it up. What? Get to the and point. I was helping to put the lid back on the Jeep. Yes. Oh, I'm sorry. And you have these, like, two bolts that finally, like, lock it down and tighten it. And I was having a hell of a hard time, like, screwing the one in. And at the same time, we had been talking earlier in the day about, like, what my cowboy name would be. And so right then and there, I was like, I've got to be motherfucking Pro Plays Turner. What? What? That, that answers <laughs> none of my questions. Who the well, fuck where did you come from? Who's Turner? That's me. Why, That's my cowboy. Why pro plays? Where would why you, Turner? Where did you come up with that? Because, you know, you say, like, if you do a good thing in League of Legends or something, you say pro plays, you know? I, and then I, I was turning a bolt. I, I would not know that. All right, well, that's fine. I was turning a bolt, so, you know, pro plays Turner. I was like, I was a good turn. So let me, let me get this straight. You took a game, you took terminology from a MOBA, Mm -hmm. and that is your cowboy name. Yeah. I'm not aware that the cowboys played MOBAs. Okay, Now let me ask you this. I am a modern cowboy. Have you ever ridden a horse? No, No, he's afraid of them. I'm terrified of those things. Yeah. He has, like, a, a deathly fear of horses. You, you, you've never ridden a horse. Do you even but have, like, a cowboy all... hat? Do you have, like, cowboy boots? Do you yes. herd cattle yes. at all? Have you ever? Yes. You have. I've done all the other things. You've herded cattle. What have I'd you, like to point out... You've herded cattle. I've yeah. herded cattle. I don't think you have. What I'd like to point out is... Mm-hmm. Your mom? The definition of cowboy does not necessarily include a horse. So, it... I could be riding a Segway or something else. <laughs> I don't think I don't on. think you should be riding a Segway uh, in in the topographical surfaces that the cowboys typically inhabit. I yeah. This is a waste of time. Welcome back to <laughs> welcome welcome back the to cowboy welcome back to the hurting Wild, Wild West podcast. <laughs> oh my god! Here gosh. we can see pro plays and Payton. About to no. do the thing no. with the guns. I refuse to call you pro plays. I'm, I'm definitely I'm not calling you pro definitely plays. not calling you pro plays. Or Turner. Or any combination I'll thereof. Call, you know what? I'll call him Hooch. <laughs> okay. Hooch, All right. Like alcohol? Speaking no, of Hooch. As in Turner and Hooch. <laughs> I don't even Tom know. Tom Hanks. That, you know? that was the dog, right? Yeah. Hooch was the dog. Hooch was yeah. the dog. <laughs> Turner was Tom He's Hanks. He's saying that because you slobber everywhere. Yes, you do slobber everywhere. I do, kind of. You do, especially when you're drunk. Wait, I have a question. What? Do I have a lisp? Yes, sort of. a little bit. A, a subtle right. one. Actually, it's pretty bad. I would no longer like to be on this podcast. What? <laughs> well, just fisk you. Wow. Just fisk. Fi- oh my gosh. <laughs> wow. Just, just fisk yourself. Speaking of speech impediments, <laughs> just fix your lisp then. It's because I have a permanent retainer. Oh. Well, take it out. Just tear it right out. Just tear it out, man. It is cemented to the back of my just teeth. Rip it. It'll only be a just moment of pain. It. Yeah. Sorry, that's teeth. Teeth. It's cemented to the back of my teeth. teeth. Yeah. Just, just, you know, just quick rip and you're done. Just rip. Rip and tear. <laughs> you know, if you grab, hold, and turn while you're ripping, I'll come right out. No problems. Well, I am pro place turner, so no, I can do that. No, God. you're absolutely Please. not. Fucking Moving pro place turn that shit right uh, out. Speaking of, speaking of hooch, hooch, what are y'all drinking? 
I am drinking Dogfish Head Sea Quench Ale. Jesus sea Christ, what the fuck is all that? Although I do, it's, I do like when, Dogfish Head. When, the, na- when yeah. the name is longer than you can remember what it is, you can't drink that. It's called Sea Quench Ale. <laughs> Miller like Light. It's the same number of syllables, you jackass. No, Miller Light, Sea Quench Ale. <laughs> there's more complex consonants in yeah. Sea Quench Yeah, there's more there complex consonants. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Qua. 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 It does it does sound like we're like speaking French or something. Okay. Okay. Kaden, what are you drinking? I, have, I hope it's nothing French. I have agua because I'm driving early tomorrow morning to go to self. Oh, that's right. Yeah, self is coming up. Yes. So you will yes. you will be at self. Yeah. You were I will be. You won't miss the next recording, right? But you're you're hoping to record something there for us? I would like to, yeah, I mean, I would like to grab somebody or interview somebody. I was thinking about interviewing the guy who runs it, GT Swagger. Swagger, mm-hmm. Swagger, I'm not sure how he says his name, but, uh. Got it. Think about him. Cool. I think, uh, Stryker will be there, so I might grab him and just do some follow-up maybe yeah. with him. And, uh, yeah, we'll go from to, there. We'd love to have some more Stryker. Stryker was cool. Stryker was cool. So. Oh, give me some more of that Stryker. So I would say. Find Peyton and say hi if you see him, but this episode won't release until after Self is done, I believe, correct? Well, yeah. Correct. Okay. It's not going to come out. So I'll I'll have to tweet it or something, but... Yeah, we'll tweet it. Yeah, we'll tweet it out. Yeah, so we talked about what we're drinking. Oh, no, I didn't talk about what I'm drinking. Yeah, you didn't talk about it. You're the cat. (laughs) I feel like you can guess. I'm drinking Jefferson's Reserve. I was going to ask you, is it Jefferson's Reserve? It is Jefferson's Reserve. It's a larger bottle, so it's it's taken me a bit of time. How, how but, large you know, is this bottle? I would say it is... So normally, like, Jefferson does, like, really small batches. Is it bigger or smaller than your head? The, it's about the same size, I would say. So it's a tiny but bottle. But it's, okay, it's gotcha. thinner. <laughs> I don't have a tiny head. I mean, a little bit. It's fine, though. My head isn't tiny. I feel like I have kind of a big head. All right, we're getting off track. You have a huge fucking head. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for backing me up in this tape, but wait. Fucking guy thinks that he knows everything. <laughs> calm well, I'm Brent, calm I'm right. Fuck down. Clam. I see what you did there also. Yeah, but all right, keep clam. talking. I gotta go remove the cat from my plant. Clam. <laughs> clam down. Well, while Jathan extricates the feline from his uh, his household plant. So we have some really cool topics tonight, we, I think. We do, actually. We have some fantastic One of them topics. is the one we wanted to get to last time, but we're unable to, because I feel like that's an ongoing pattern here where we're going to announce at least two topics, and whatever we get to, we get to. Whatever we don't get to, we'll push on to the next episode so you have something to look forward to. The one we'll definitely be getting to is cross-platform administration, meaning you have a mixed fleet. So you've got some Windows boxes, some Nix boxes, some Mac OS boxes, whatever. And then, you know, once we get through that, if we have time, we'll be talking about in-house DNS management. So that's, it'll probably be a shorter topic. It'll be shorter than the cross-platform thing, I suspect. But it is something we haven't talked about before, which is surprising, because we've talked about a lot. <laughs> so so that is something we can talk about and, uh, and hopefully dive into. So, that being said, Peyton, take us into the news. Hey, all right. How are you today? I guess it's pain with the news. I'm, I'm absolutely delighted. Oh boy. Oh boy. You went there, didn't you? I went there. All right. So we're going to start off with some news that, you know, is a little disturbing. It's not as bad as spy machines around DC, but some people yeah. might absolutely hate this. Microsoft has purchased GitHub. 
They spent mm-hmm. right about $7.5 billion. That's billion with a B. Jumping in right quick, I saw this. I'll need to find a source, so I hope somebody remembers reminds me to do this. Shortly after announcing the acquisition, their stock rose a certain amount of percent, and it ended up being about $7 billion increase. So it was practically a free buy for them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, Microsoft has a habit of purchasing things. Halo, Skype, you know, the Windows system itself, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. and then destroying it. Absolutely destroying it. So, <laughs> right. There have been At a lot of... not Oracle. Oh, man. Okay, we won't go. Yeah, there. sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> keep going, keep so, going. So anyway, you know, there's been mass exoduses to GitLab. GitLab's, GitLab's has gone up too, I believe. They're, not their stock, but their, the amount of hosts that they're... Are market share, mar- I guess. Their market, yeah, it. their market share has gone up. So that's... Exponentially. You know, yeah, so that's good news. Like, we'll link to the, yeah. the post with the graph and everything, but like, you see like a little line, little line, like boom. And it goes you know, right up. Yeah, yeah, it's astounding. So they've acquired GitHub. The former CEO of... Well, Nat Friedman, the former CEO of Xamarin, will take over as CEO of GitHub. Chris mm-hmm. Wainstrath will join Microsoft as a technical fellow. So yeah. What does that mean? What is a technical I fellow? I have no idea what a technical fellow is. I've never heard of that term before. It's got to be some sort of Microsoftism. Maybe. For all you court culture nerds, if you're listening, just maybe get in touch with them and tell us what the hell that is, because I have no idea what it is. So GitHub is realistically, it's one of the most popular code hosting platforms. I mean, we all have heard about it. We've all used it. We've all borrowed from it, whatever, mm-hmm. you know, but it's so popular actually that Microsoft and Google shut down their own code hosting platforms, Codeplex and Google Code, and moved to GitHub. So the problem is that they really couldn't create a sustainable business model. Mm-hmm. In 2016, they lost $66 million. So, you know, there have been some issues with GitHub in the past. This is obviously a big deal for them. So, you know, I hope all the best to them. I'll still put things on there, but I'm not going to, of course, I'm not going to just use GitHub as my only repository. Actually, a really interesting point is that Microsoft is one of their biggest users. Is actually their largest contributor. So, of... GitHub. On GitHub. Interesting. They push the most... I find that so hard to believe. No, they Like, I know they have a sourced... shit ton of stuff. Yeah, yeah, they have a shit ton of stuff on there. Well, they've open sourced but... a lot of their enterprise products. They also engage, and they've also helped with things like Kubernetes, mm. which I think is and, fantastic. And they do have stuff in the Linux kernel as well. Correct. But that's not primarily hosted at GitHub, so I don't know. It has a mirror there, but I don't know if we should sure. count that in. So... so... Interesting. In a related bit of news, GitLab has seen a massive spike. They've got more than 2,000 people, which I'm sure that number has gone much higher, about moving to GitLab, hashtag moving to GitLab. They have imported over 100,000 repositories, and they've seen a seven times increase in orders. The next thing about this is, is they are giving away GitLab Ultimate and Gold to educational institutions and open source projects. Now, Educational institutions, they are not commercial, professional, or for-profit purposes, so it has to be educational as far as that's concerned. Mm-hmm. And then... And not students, only the only the university or the school. Well, yeah, it says any institution whose purposes directly relate to learning, teaching, and or training. So it's not a yep. student. However, here's the caveat. If you have an open source project, any open source project that uses a standard open source license and is non-commercial, so that means no paid support or paid contributors, you are also free. GitLab Gold or Ultimate. Which, and I understand why they need to restrict because, like, they have limited resources sure. and this hit them all of a sudden. I mean, they're scrambling to, sure. to scale out right now. But at the same time, like, 
that's like what 90% of the repos on GitHub. Yeah. So like I feel like it was ultimately a silly restriction because like, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. I understand why they did. So Ultimate is the self-hosted version of GitLab. It's mm-hmm. well it's it's self-hosted but it's also like all of the other features or whatever. And then Gold is more of a SaaS offering which uses mm-hmm. gitlab.com and then that has features of Epic's roadmap, static application security, testing and container scanning and more. Now, with the free, there's no support, but you can buy support for 95% off. So, $4.95 user per month. So, it's a big deal. And as we said, if you're a student and your institution is not applied, you can use public projects or you can ask your institution to apply for you. So, there's that. So, good news, bad news, good news, you know. Mm-hmm. And now, I, yes. Jathan, are you back? Yeah. Okay. So, Jathan and I, and I tweeted about this today, but mm-hmm. I, I should mention it on the show because not everybody oh, follows us on Twitter. yeah. The tweets. So, Jathan and I... And to an extent, Peyton, I guess. I don't know how much he's been involved in it, but we love Gitolite. Fucking love. It's amazing. It, it really should be a part of the core Git technology, in my opinion, but whatever. Well, I don't know about that. I Maybe. do. I want to propose something, though. Yes. I want to let you finish. <laughs> but, I'm going to let um, you finish, but. <laughs> I'm going to let you finish, but. Gitolite is the best source code hosting of all time. Before we jump into our topics, I'd like to pose a serious question and have a brief discussion about it. Okay. Remind okay, me but... when we're done with the news, because I might forget. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, so back to Gitolite. I mean, it does really things that should have been in Core Git, in my opinion. Users and groups, so you don't have to share the same SSH account. You can assign roles. You can assign multiple keys to a certain Gitolite user. It supports server-side hooks. It has all sorts of really... F- I can't even go into how awesome it is. It really extends the Core Git functionality. But if you don't need all that, because it is a little bit of a pain in the ass to set up if you haven't done it before. Once you set it up the first time, it's a breeze after that. But first time, it's a little bit hard to understand, which is fine. If that's too complex for you, Git itself has, it already has a centralized server, a centralized Git server called Git Daemon. Like, it's literally part of the software already. So, like, we've mentioned multiple times how you should not rely on your primary source control being on a third-party hosted service. We brought this up with SourceForge specifically, and I even mentioned, what if something like this happened to GitHub? Now, you know SourceForge, since we talked about that, is under, like, different management, right? They are, right. and they have restored a oh, lot of they... the software that went gone. It was... That went gone. It was gone. nuts. <laughs> yeah. You know that software that went gone. Shut up. That went missing. That However went you want missing. to say it. So they restored a lot of data, and, and they're starting to work their way back up. But, I mean, again, now we're faced again with a similar situation with GitHub. Granted, now it's more about politics than technical issues, but the same thing happens, and everybody's moving to GitLab. Yeah. It's like you're just delaying the fucking problem again to another place. Host now, the one tip. benefit yes. to moving to GitLab is at least GitLab has a self-hosting option, and they make That's it true. easy to migrate from theirs to your own. That is true. That is very Whereas true. GitHub does not do that. So mm-hmm. if you were on GitHub and you wanted to turn up your own instance of either GitLab CE, which is Community Edition, Gitolite, whatever, mm-hmm. you know, GitHub does have plenty of instructions for migrating repositories off of their platform. Nice. But it's not orchestrated like moving from GitLab Cloud to your self-hosted option, or the other way around. Mm-hmm. So I do think that's a benefit here. Sure. What I do is I self-host with Gitolite and then I mirror to GitHub. And I think that gives me the best of both worlds. So what were you going to say, Peyton? Oh, I was just, you know, ready for the next. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. We've been been talking about this a bit much, but it's it's obviously huge news. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Keep going. That's okay. All right. So 
The next thing we have is that the FBI is warning you to reboot your router now. Actually, now is um, like five days ago or 10 days ago or, or what right. have you. There's a malware called, it's linked to Russia, it's called VPN Filter. It targets home office and small office routers, and once affected, the routers can be used as jumping off points to launch further attacks. So like, you know, from your aquarium thermometer. <clears throat> More than half a million routers have been identified as being compromised. I'm sure that number is larger at this point. I did not find any more figures on this article. The analysis was done by a company called Talos, which is the security arm of Cisco. The attack is also international, so there's at least 54 countries that are affected by this. And some of the devices that are affected are Linksys, Microtech, Netgear, and TP-Link. The malware has actually been quietly spreading since 2016. And the infected devices are generally ones that have, been, have known public exploits and or use default credentials. Mm. So when you plug it in, change your shit. Better yet, install OpenWRT. That works too. But if you have not rebooted your router by now and you have a commercial device, please do so now. That includes the crappy Verizon ones you get, or the crappy Comcast ones you get. Reboot all. Well, patch them and reboot them, I would say. Or reboot them and then patch them, I would say. Actually, from what I understand, Comcast, Verizon, etc. have already patched them, and they may have even forced to reboot. So mm, Good. Yeah. But, I mean, that's just the consumer gateway. It's not like your own wireless routers you may have bought consumer level. Yeah. So, if so. you have a personally owned consumer router, please mm-hmm. reboot it. Mm-hmm. Period. Absolutely. Stop. Yep. Reboot. You don't have to patch it, you just have to reboot it. I gotta go. Why do you gotta go? I gotta go reboot. (laughs) Oh my god. Jathan, you can wait a couple minutes. You can wait till the end of the... The Russians are in our podcast. Oh, for fuck's sake, Jathan. They are not in our podcast, comrade. (laughs) You should be be drinking vodka. All right, right, Peter, continue. Ignore him. So, I don't know if you've used Steam at all in the last 10 Mm -hmm. years or so. It's this little known software, you know, hardly anyone uses it. There's been a remote code execution vulnerability in Steam for the last 10 years. It was fixed in July of last year. There are roughly 15 million Steam clients. Up until July, it would have allowed a remote code execution. After July, it simply causes a client crash. The vulnerability was actually a heap corruption within the Steam client that could be remotely triggered. The area of code dealt with fragmented datagram reassembly from multiple UDP packets. Steam client uses the Steam protocol, which is used on top of UDP. Mm-hmm. So this is, you know, it's interesting to me that this has been in here. They've done a lot of reporting on this. They've done a lot of work on this. It took them 10 years, but they finally were able to just fix it. Mm -hmm. There's a really nice write-up we have on this that we found on this. Mm -hmm. Just, you know, make sure you're up to date. Well, to Steam's credit, or I guess to Valve's credit, rather. Yeah. Yeah. Steam's pretty much crippled unless you keep it updated. So Correct. Correct. Yeah. If you you don't... I think they approach that If you don't update it... They actually will lock your account out. Like, you can't even do anything. I know they definitely prevent you from joining multiplayer games and stuff like that that they they host. So, yeah, they take various measures to make sure that you're up to date, which is cool, in my opinion. Like, it's a a consumer software. It's client-side. It's desktop software. I'm okay with it. Do you remember the hate it used to get back in in the aughts? Yeah. Yep. And I was like, this is going to be fantastic, you know. Let's not hate on this. And sure enough, it's the premier game slash movie slash content delivery system. Yep. And the DRM on it is not even that bad. Yeah, it's, it's nah. But you can at least play stuff offline. Yes. At least. Yes, so it, it's a little bit. All right. So. Oh, wait, real quick, though. Mm-hmm. Related to that, Microsoft, you know, everybody hates Microsoft because of the force updates in Windows 10. I think that's a little bit different <sighs> because that Windows 10 is also for workstations. 
I would imagine that they're extending that to their newer server offerings, you know, so like it's a little bit different of a context here. It's just a fucking gaming rig. Who cares if you need to reboot it? You know? Yeah, right. Exactly. And it's not just it's not even the operating system on the gaming rig mm-hmm. necessarily. Yeah. I mean, if you're running Windows 10, then yeah, it still is. Yeah. But it's a piece of software you need to play games. Yeah. yeah. Like it is not life or death. <laughs> and games are horribly insecure. Like if you read some of the vulns about like Quake 3 has a ton of them. They've mostly been patched out by newer engine rewrites and engine ports. But like yeah, there's a ton of them. And yeah. Like, why? Yeah. Why? Like yeah. game developers need to get better. But okay, there sorry. I know okay. I keep interrupting it's you, right. but there's a lot of interesting stuff to yeah. say about these. So okay. if you remember Cloudflare, they introduced the Quad Ones, you know, DNS. Mm-hmm. Around 8 o'clock, 8 a.m. UTC on the 29th of May, they detected a possible BGP hijack. Normally, 1.1.1.0/24 is announced by AIS 1335 Cloudflare Inc., which mm-hmm. it should be. However, yep. right about 8 o'clock, the same prefix was also announced by ASN 58879. Now, ASN 58879 is Shanghai Anchang Network Security Technology Company Limited. Which I don't think is Cloudflare, but I could no, be mistaken. No, that doesn't sound like Cloudflare to me. Yeah, so obviously that's not correct. They did resolve it, but they have a nice little stream of the event of what happened and where it started coming from. And so th- this is again, uh, you know, yes, it was it was compromised, but they fixed it pretty quickly, and you can watch it now. Fourteen BGP Mon Pierce uh, detected it, and so they got it, they got it fixed right away. So that's yep. it's a good thing. Who here uses ext4? I know I do. I do, yeah. Kernel versions prior to 4.16.11 suffer from an ext4 underscore read underscore inline underscore data open close parentheses memory corruption vulnerability. Basically, ext4 stores data for small regular files as inline data, which means the data is stored in a corresponding inode instead of separate blocks. So this is stored in two places, the first 60 bytes in the I field of the inode, and then the rest goes into the file system internal extended attribute system data. System dot data. Mm-hmm. Corrupted file systems store the system.data extended attribute in a dedicated inode. The kernel gets confused and memory is corrupted. I'm TLDRing it quite yeah, a bit. Yeah. The system then looks for that, finds it, attempts to read it. It then trusts the length value, which then causes the out-of-bounds memory issue. So essentially, it's telling it that it's this much and it's not really that much and it, and it breaks it. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's pain with the news. Cool. Yeah, that's... Jeez, that last one. Like, that's... That is scary shit, isn't horrifying. It? Yeah, it's terrifying. Like these low level attacks always freak me out because they're like, how ubiquitous is EXT4 on Linux at this point? You know, it's white. It's, it's everywhere. You know what's the stupid as fuck though? It is not the default on CentOS 7. We know. Yeah, that's their ButterFS now? Are they? No, it's XFS. XFS. It oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, as of, uh, I think as of 6.8 or something like that. Yeah, it's been XFS. Hmm. Yeah, good. good that's right. Fucking A. Why is that? SUSE. I think SUSE is the one using ButterFS by default. One of no. them is using ButterFS no. by default. No. SUSE is no? not. Well, I should say our version is not. Okay. But I I'm, I didn't say that out I loud. Won't have <clears to throat> disclose. I won't you won't you don't have to disclose which version. Well we do have but, we do have riser. We're getting rid of it, but we do have some riser. Interesting. Uh I, riser I or riser four? Riser FS? Yeah, I, riser or riser four. There's I don't know off the top of my head. Okay. I, so you you have, have the files it. if it's if it's riser mm-hmm. the original you have the one written by the guy who killed his wife yep <laughs> yep we, i yep. think we we talked about that yep. before on the show yep yep that's as much as i'm saying though yep yeah yeah yep. okay got it yep. jathan mm-hmm. what was the thing you were gonna say oh so very faithful devout listener who is fucking awesome nasbig contacted us oh yeah oh, yes 
so we should talk about his email a little bit because, and really that doesn't belong like right here, but I forgot until just now. And what I actually wanted to ask about, so Nasbig in our IRC channel, he also said something about a product called Gogs, gogs.io. It's like mm-hmm. the website. We'll be in the show notes. Gogs.io. And it's essentially, it's a Go-based sort of wrapper for Git services. It's a lot like Guido Lite in terms mm-hmm. of what it provides, but it's actually got like more of a web component and stuff like that too, which Guido Lite does not. It's true. I kind of like that, and, though, honestly. Yeah, depending what you need, right? Yep, exactly. Like, if you have users that are more inclined to use Git because they can visualize it, then I'm inclined to give them that because that's true. using Git is better than not using Git. That's true. Yes. Anyway, you, you know, I'm very right. intrigued by that project. It's something I'd like to have experience with just because I do think it's much lighter weight than GitLab. Mm-hmm. It sort of bridges the gap between Gitolite and GitLab. You guys and wanna, so I think you guys want to demo it for next episode? That'd be awesome. Okay. I would love to do that. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, we can do that. The other thing, though, and what my question really for you was, because you've been at this longer than I have, and it's not to exclude you, Peyton. I mean, if you have input, please share. But, you know, it's a relatively young project. It's written in Go, which is not something that I'm super familiar with. How do I evaluate, like, is this a safe thing to install? Like, Mm. I'm not going to fuzz it myself, at least beyond, (laughs) like, basic things, Right. Right. So, like, how do you ever make that decision for something that's lesser known? But at some point, Guido Light was probably a very small project oh, sure. and lesser known. Sure, yeah. And so now at, kernel.org you know, some... uses it. Kernel.org yeah, right. uses Guido Light. And, you know, so at some point, somebody decided, like, I'm going to take a chance on this. But how do you decide to be that person that takes that chance? Like, yeah. how do you appropriately evaluate that risk when you don't have a bunch of case studies and examples of people using it and shit like that to fall back on? And specifically with GOGS, I'm assuming that's how you say it or whatever mm-hmm. it is, like... Go Git server, I'm assuming. I don't know what Gogs stands for. We'll just go with Gogs. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if you go to the bottom of their homepage, they have like a list and logos like, here's all the people using this. And I think that's great. I love that, whatever. But if you look at the list, I knew exactly one company or institution on that list, and it was a university. Mm. Okay. So they're all like smaller name kind of a... Yeah. So So like I fully intend... Yeah, I fully intend to spin this up either like in a container or on a VM or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I want to play with it because I want to know what it can do. And, you know, I always like to have any tools that I can in my back pocket. And we all should do that. Yes. Mm-hmm. But how do I evaluate? Is this an appropriate product to use in production? What risk am I putting myself into? Like, I don't I don't understand. That is a great mini topic. I honestly, I think we could spend a whole episode on this, but I think we should explore it a little bit right now, if you guys are okay with that. Sure. I'm fine with that. Okay. So the way I usually do it is I first look at how old the project is, you know, when their first commit was or when their first release was, stuff like that. And then I look for, I'll I'll do a Google and just do like a rough idea of how many search results I get. Then I look at their documentation. If the documentation's good, that's a good indicator to me. And then from there, I will take a look at their bug tracker or their issue tracker, if it's on GitHub, whatever. And I take a look at how fast they respond to issues. The oldest open issue. How many issues are still open? How many are closed? Well, also, what's the severity? Severity, exactly. I was just about to say that the severity of the issues being raised. These are all like great ideas. And this is like if it's like stuff you plan on deploying to production, you know, because like you really got to research this stuff. So I look at all of that, you know, I I kind of keep like it's not a hard scoring system. And, you know, I guess what we wanted to, we could come up with an actual rubric that people could use to determine this. Maybe even like, quote unquote, source crowded or whatever. But I keep like a rough mental scoring of this, factoring in all these different things. And then from there, I try and POC it. I throw up a VM. And I try and actually install the thing and set it up before deploying to production. 
and I get a sense of how mature it feels because you can use the software and like during the install process and the configuration process you'll get an idea of how mature it is you know like if it has your running through hoops and has a ton of undocumented things if you're running into errors that's a good indication it's probably not a good candidate granted yeah sometimes it's the best one you have but still like you can if you have other alternatives you can feel it out and see like how manageable would this be in production and possibly how well would it scale so you start looking for those things. And that's the general process I follow. Yeah. When I have time, anyways. <laughs> yeah, so that's the process I follow. Do either of you have your own personal processes for that? or You know, honestly, what's hard about this for me is I have done a lot in my three and a half, four years at BioFrontiers at this point. Mm-hmm. But most of what I have done is not deploy new software. Mm. And a lot of the software I do work with is for the compute cluster and it's bioinformatics software, whatever. You know, like the security implications of running it are not the same as like hosting code that's meant to be private or Or hosting code that's meant to be general public. Yeah. I mean, you're you're in a weird in-between kind of stage. Sure. So I haven't really had this problem before, you know, like... Mm. Every piece of software I implement for most of the things I deal with is either, you know... Bioinformatics software, there's some suites of tools and shit that are extremely well written, very well documented, maintained by large teams, they get a lot of money, whatever, that's fine. The rest of it, though, is, I don't mean to bash it, but it's bad. It's Mm -hmm. poorly written, the documentation sucks, the install docs suck, the code itself is buggy, but that's because, and I've explained this before, people are doing this in their free time, like, they're full-time researchers, they're developing software to meet a need that is not fulfilled somewhere else, and they're, I'm they're of like, opinion that's not a good excuse, but I agree. I mean, but you've it's... seen the documentation I wrote for BDisk and AIF, you know. Yeah, yeah, and it's hard. It but is anyway, hard. you know, like we use GitLab CE at work for our Git, mm-hmm. and you know, I would love to use Gitalite, but again, my researchers want issue tracking and sure. wikis and shit like that, and I would rather give them that and use more resources than them not use Git. So mm-hmm. I have no qualm about deploying GitLab. And yeah. actually, for what it's worth, GitLab is actually super easy to install, maintain, update, because it comes with a web server that's pre-configured. It's Nginx. Okay. The updates are just via yum. So you yum update the package, you reboot the machine, and you're good to go. Yep. But in any case, you know, I've never really just taken on, like, some small-time software to fill, like, a big need like that. Like, mm-hmm. if we were redoing this tomorrow and we maybe didn't have a whole lot of users or something like that, would I consider GOGS over GitLab? I feel like as a responsible administrator asked to find a solution for this particular problem, I have to consider it. But honestly, the first time I heard of it was when Nasbig brought it up. So it Mm -hmm. had me thinking like, oh, this is cool. Like, I like this project. I like what they're doing, but I don't know if this is safe to use. I don't know if it's a good idea. You don't know how stable it is. I don't know how stable it is. I don't want to lose anyone's data, certainly. Oh, that'd be terrible. Yeah. I mean, and you know, assuming you had a mirror, sure. But well, and you should have backups and shit Mm -hmm. anyway. Right. Yeah. Yep. Well, the nice thing about mirroring is you can turn up a second instance, too. and Like a Gitolite instance. Now you got me doing it. A Gitolite instance. I always have said Gitolite. I know you I have. Gito. <laughs> but, like, you can turn up, like, a Gitolite instance and do a regular cron pool from GitLab, from your own well, GitLab instance or your own GOGS instance. And then you at the least repositories. Have, yeah, and then you at least have, like, a working mirror that people can push to. But, you know, in the case of downtime. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, like, it adds complexity and all that other stuff. Sure. But no, and that's, I think those are really good things to consider. It's like how you have to balance, like, how suitable is this software 
for the environment I'm deploying it in versus how cool it is. You know, cool yeah. doesn't always win out. I think it depends how you define cool, too, because I think Gogs is really cool, but it's not because of necessarily it's not because it's written in Go. It's not because it's super flashy. It's because I really feel like it's much smaller than GitLab, mm -hmm. but it has, you know, it's the difference between turning up uh, Gitolite and Cgit. Yep. Which, and... which doesn't allow interactive. Mm -hmm. Right. It doesn't exactly. allow the social aspect of it. Yeah. And it doesn't have, you know, Seagit doesn't have support for logins and shit like that, really. Mm -hmm. So it's like one step above that without being full-blown fucking GitLab. Right. Yeah. Or GitHub or whatever the fuck. Or whatever, you know? yeah. A full-blown fucking. Whatever bucket. the fuck. Yeah, an overblown solution, sure. Mm -hmm. And so I think that is a legitimate use case that I could find use for. Actually, I would love to use it for my consulting business. Sure, yeah. Because I don't think we need GitLab, but I also think that we would benefit from having you know a more interactive experience than cgit yeah awesome. that makes sense cool yeah so we can demo that for the next episode and report back i think we should all agree on the specs of the vm i'm gonna say centos 7 minimal so okay. what we're rolling up a GitLab on something or no we're rolling up gogs oh gogs okay all right. yeah yep. sure we're gonna we're gonna demo gogs got it and <laughs> demo you know gogs. payton and i i know have both installed GitLab at this point yeah i've got my own GitLab at home and mm -hmm. i might use it somewhere else Maybe. Cool. Well, yeah, but all I was going to say is if you have time, it would be interesting to see you also deploy GitLab. It's not going to take you a whole shit ton of time. Yeah. No, I, uh, I Just to see yeah, a good comparison like Gogs okay. versus GitLab for somebody who hasn't done either. Who's before. done like almost 100% of his Git server hosting is, is like GitOlite. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I can do that. You want that. you want me to. So, okay. So we're going so to do you Gogs. And on are deploying Gogs. And you're going to do, you're going to do GitLab? I'm going to do both GOGS and GitLab. Okay. On CentOS 7? Is that... Should I stick with CentOS 7 for GitLab? Yeah, CentOS 7. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Yep, so CentOS 7, minimal VM. So it, it stays nice and streamlined and stuff. Yeah, and yeah. we will... We'll see how that works out. What are out. we doing GOGS on? You want to do GOGS on 7, Jason? Is that what we're doing? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. GOGS on 7, that's, minimal. That's the agreement. Okay. CentOS 7, minimal. All right. Okay, cool. All cool. right, let's... Uh, speaking of actual administration stuff... <laughs> Let's get into our first topic because we're already at 38 minutes into the into the raw, you guys. So cross-platform administration. Who I have to phrase this in a certain way. Who manages slash is responsible for multiple operating systems in their environment? Me. I am not. I am responsible for Linux entirely. And that's it. Okay. Well, Linux and I do. entirely. We do administer from Windows sometimes. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. And what were you saying, Jathan? I do Linux, I do Illumos, mm -hmm. so and I have exactly two Linux clients. Or no, sorry, Windows clients that I am responsible for. Okay. Do you? Did you ever do any FreeBSD stuff like you were thinking? I have a few test beds that are running FreeBSD. I, I think that counts if they're test beds. If it counts, yeah, yeah. I yeah I do FreeBSD then. That's fine. Okay. So I. All of the servers I deal with are Linux, but I sort of, since I work for such a small company, by de facto, I'm also the staff support, basically. And there I do two, and I'm not counting my own shit for testing. This is just other staff people. And we're a telecommuting company, too, so, you know, I have to take that into account as well. So I, three, sorry, three Mac three, OS three. machines ah. for clients. One Windows now, it, I think I was like at two at one point, but one Windows machine now, and all of my own personal stuff is, all my own personal clients are Linux. Hmm. So 
I do find myself needing some sort of management for the clients, but usually, I mean, that's usually just like Skype screen sharing and shit like that, you know, like just walking through processes, like getting people to join the staff chat if they're having issues, using the staff VPN, things like that. It's very minor stuff. I don't actually have to deploy anything because at the end of the day, these are also all people's machines, their personal machines. So what have you? Oh, and a couple Chrome OS devices too. Almost forgot about that. But we don't have the fancy Chrome central management thing for businesses. So I do generate ONCs for our staff VPN. And ONCs are how you can get a Chromebook to configure a VPN automatically. You import the ONC, done. Okay, so that being said, it's been a while since I had to really support Windows in a, a very large environment. And it sounds like almost for all of us. But there are some neat things that can make this a lot easier. So, namely, PowerShell, I found this out only recently, PowerShell is open source and there is a Linux port. I had no idea. Yeah, did you guys know this? Yes, I did. Yeah. Isn't that fairly recent? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. I thought we added it as a news we item. Did. So, no, it did, but I moved it to this topic instead. We did not have it uh, in the news. Yeah, we probably didn't talk about it. Yeah, sure. But it, it was also old news. It wasn't... I didn't add, like, that's why I partly moved it to a topic, because it wasn't really news. It's been there for a little bit. But it's open source. It has a Linux port. I haven't played around with it. But the nice thing is this will give me a chance to in, remotely enter. PowerShell has, like, a built-in SSH equivalent. It's not quite the same. I would argue it's not quite as secure. But it has its own equivalent. And now, of course, you know, Windows also has SSH server and everything. It has had that for a while. So I can at least play with it. And in the future, if I need to manage Windows servers, I at least have a way moving forward where I can do it from a Linux client. I can write my PowerShell scripts on a Linux client, things like that. There's also, and we'll be linking to a lot of these, by the way, there's a way to actually extract the SSH keys from Windows 10. And I presume a way to import them as well. So that may be a future. I don't know if Windows 10 supports ED25519, for instance. So, you know, there's... I feel like the SSH support on Windows 10, it's getting there, but it's still a little crippled. So, and I think this is also for uh, Windows, what's the most recent Windows server? 20, 2016? 2016, yeah. I feel like that's right. So I suspect this is also available on Windows server as well, but I haven't, I don't have a Windows server VM, so I can't test. So it is nice that now you can actually SSH into Windows 10. You can SSH from Windows 10. They have a native SSH client. Now, you technically don't need PuTTY. It's still a little bit more comfortable than the inbuilt one, but whatever. Or Sigwin, I guess, for an SSH client, too. You know, you'd use that. But, you know, so there's some various SSH-related things in Windows 10 now that should make it easier to manage remotely and centrally. And there's a general theory in approaching this. You want to use language that suits your environment when scripting stuff, right? Yeah. So if you're an entire Windows environment, I would recommend just PowerShell right away. I've never used it. I hear it's the best thing since sliced bread it's, for it's the new hotness. Windows admins. It's the sure. new hotness. Windows admins love it. They're they eating do. that shit up. They do. And if doesn't it you, take whoop, Bash? No. No. It's so a lot of PowerShell, unlike Bash isms, usually have the command in lowercase and things and stuff like that. PowerShell is mostly like capitalized commands not all caps yeah. but like you know like case sensitive case sensitive but i mean so is bash but you know like the mm. commands themselves are different and uh, it's a little foreign to people who might be entirely scripting a bash i yeah. have looked a, at a little bit of powershell it's different it's, enough it's to make weird. you feel uncomfortable yeah but i mean it is certainly much more flexible than say bat scripts or something 
BAT scripts, I should say. Yeah. It's, it's a little bit hard to distinguish an audio between BAT and BASH. So it's more comfortable than BATCH scripts, B-A-T, and it lets you do a lot more. It's basically the Windows answer to BASH, Yeah, but it's not. It's different enough from BASH to make you feel comfortable. There's so a, if you're entirely yeah. Windows, sorry. I was going to say, if you're entirely Windows, I would stick to PowerShell. If you're entirely Linux, I would stick to Bash. Or, you know, we'll go into that a little bit because Bash is kind of limited in a sense. It does require external programs to be installed and stuff. Right. If you're entirely Mac OS, I would probably say Mac Apple script. But, like, who has a Mac OS server, you know? (laughs) I don't. Jay thought you'd laugh. And that makes me worried. I don't have one. Yeah. I mean, people, if you're building for Mac, I would presume you do because there is still the software. What is it? Mac server or Apple server or whatever they call it? Where you can, like. It's not a thing anymore. Yeah, I thought it. I thought it still they, is. They did away with it. I'm not talking they about the hardware. It. I'm talking about the software component. Uh huh. No longer a thing. No shit. I'll have yeah. to. I'll I think. Have to check my Mac OS I think there might be like a sort of package you can install for Mac OS. That's like. Yeah, that's what I'm talking tools about. Tools or something, but yeah, it used to be about. a separate OS. Right. That's true. It used to be a separate OS, separate hardware, because that's how Apple does shit. So yeah, so that I knew that was no longer a thing, but I do have the server software, whatever it's called, the app, I guess. I have that installed on my Mac OS. I bought a license. It's like 10 bucks. It's really cheap. But that's lets you do things like centrally manage Xcode and centrally test your Xcode shit. If you're a heavy Mac OS shop developing for Mac OS users, that's probably going to be a necessity for your shop. So I understand. Mac OS, you can do SSH. So that is handy. But as far as the actual language, I would probably stick to AppleScript. But I, again, I'm not a regular Mac OS user, so who the fuck knows? Right. I don't even fucking know what AppleScript is. I just know that most of the Mac guys use it. So that's it. But if you've got a mixed environment, or, or oh, also if you're like on older Nixes, like, like Jython is for Lumos, for more Unix-based stuff or BSD, maybe just stick to straight shell because, you know, it varies so much between them. Like there's K-shell, C-shell, all that bullshit. I would just stick to straight shell so it would be compatible with all of them. Whew. Yeah, here's a small problem with that. What's that? I mean, it is possible that saying stick to shell is not really valid because there are certain people, like I think HP, what do they call it? HP HP UX? UX? Yeah. Like they use corn shell. Mm -hmm. So if you bash script and then you- No, not bash, shell. Just just shell. Just shell. Super super, difficult. (laughs) Super basic shit. Like, yeah, you can't get anything done that way. You can, but it's like C versus C++, right? Like, you can do it, but it's a pain in the ass. But at least you can guarantee that it's going to work everywhere. I suppose. Yeah. So you really start to miss Bash once you start writing actual shell scripts rather than Bash scripts. But there is a difference, by the way. When I say shell scripts, I mean SH. You know, like the shell SH, the original. Like valid in an app. The original Cute. born Command shell. All of thing. all, like K shell, C shell, all of them should be compatible with born shell scripting. The born again shell. No, that's bash. I know. Born again shell is, is yeah. I know. No, not bash. I'm not, not talking about bash. I'm talking about born shell. Well, the born again but, shell is just as cool. So there. But, right, right. But moving on, like, if you have a mixed environment, which most of the admins listening to us probably can say that they do. I would stick with Python. Yeah, it does require installation for a lot of them, but even many Linux distros don't come with a Python pre-installed. Maybe not many, most. No, not most. Some, rather. I think most do. Uh, Have one pre-installed? Arch. Require one. Arch does not come with Python pre-installed. 
I thought it came with Python. Nope. Okay. Nope. Ubuntu. I haven't checked in a while. I I think it does come with it pre-installed. CentOS. CentOS. Requi- yeah, CentOS seven has two seven. Yep. And three six in Apple. So Gen two definitely does. Right. Emer- it's a dependency of Emerge slash Apple. Portage. Yep. Uh, what? Apple. Apple. I love Apple. Payton does SUSE oh, come Apple, with yeah. Python by default? Two seven or three Oh sh- That's all right. I mean, we can. I can probably spin up a VM and we'll check, make a nice but... table. Yeah, we'll make a table for you. You, you know what? How about this? I will. Yes. I can't confirm that right now, but I will look on Monday because I won't be logging into work for the next two days. I'll look on Monday okay. on one of our machines. And cool. Yeah. I'll make sure a... it's a new install. It has to be a new, in, like a fresh install. Okay. I can just spin up an OpenSUSE VM. Sure. Either way. Sure. Yeah, we'll figure it out for you guys. We'll we'll put it inconsequential. All on the table. Ultimately, it's a, right. we we <laughs> may not have it on ours necessarily i bet it's probably not pre-installed yeah well i mean we don't do the base install we have oh you you strip stuff out from okay interesting yeah i'd have to double check i like i said let me go yeah. let me go yeah, check that's, that's on fine. monday well, and i'll be able to let you know listener we'll get an answer for you either way yeah like we'll have this all sorted out by the time it's all right together by the time this releases interestingly cool. did you know mac os comes with python yeah python, python 2. 2 yep Python yep. 2. I can't remember if it's 2.6 or 2.7 in the newest Mac OS. I just ended up installing Python 3.6 3, anyways, because fuck 2. But, you know, it, the point is, it's there. So Windows is, for the majority, the odd man out here. And yeah, there's there are, like, the Unixes. Like, I don't think Illumos comes with Python, right? Python 2. It does? Yep. Okay. So Very can, fucking old Python 2. Sure, sure. So if you can... It, I'm, but the nice thing is, you can write your Python to check which version it's running on, and then, you know do like if clauses and such accordingly yeah which yeah that's why i script in python and not bash yeah yeah because bash is a lot harder to do stuff like and that. and it even does come with bash but it's just old as fuck bash sure sure exactly and you don't want to rely on that so that's why i say python for mixed environments yeah you could write in perl but i feel like perl's basically dying slash dead at this point you don't see a whole lot of adoption python's on the rise Plus, you have to take, like, the first five years of your career to learn Perl. Oh, uh, Perl's a mess. I've got yeah. a co-worker at work who's doing a lot of go-writing. Mm-hmm. He, I mean, he did a lot of Python, too, as well. Mm-hmm. I should not say Python, too, but Python as well. So, I mean, he migrated from Python to Go. He really likes Go. I mean, he's written some good stuff in Go, but I just, you know, whatever. My problem with I... it is it's not as clean and mature feeling as Python is and when, sure. in terms of external libraries. So, here's what I like is... Sorry, excuse me. There's a train. I'm yawning. I I hear that. Yeah. So I am still teaching myself Go very slowly but surely. And I have my own reasons for doing that. A huge part of it is how easy the concurrency is. And I'm really interested in writing applications for the compute cluster in Go. Sure. However, I will fully admit that Python feels more intuitive. Mm -hmm. And honestly, like I check all of my one-offs into Git at work. Because if I used it one time... You'll Somebody else on my team, yeah. yeah, may benefit from seeing it or whatever. There's a reason and, it. There, there's a reason you took the time to script it out. Yeah, exactly. yeah. And even if it's like they just want to see how I did something, mm-hmm. they don't have to know Python to read my subprocess commands or see what I'm doing. Yep. Whereas I don't feel that that's necessarily true of Go, and I yeah. don't hate Go as much as Brent hates Go. <laughs> I do hate it. I'll admit that. I'm biased against it. However, I will say that. In a production environment, I think Python has more of a place, if for nothing else, than 
it's more readable mm -hmm. for people who want to reproduce your results, use your code, whatever. Yeah, and you know, like it doesn't do shit like arbitrarily grab external libraries from Git when you're installing them, shit like that. Like, now, that... to be fair, that is also optional. Yeah, but there's no centralized Go repository like PyPy. Like like PyPy, yeah. Yeah. So like, there's you know, I and that beca instantly becomes a lot harder to firewall, right? Because then you need to self-host all that shit. And, and anyways, yeah. So there are some issues with Python, of course, and there are some issues. With Go, I would recommend against Go personally from mixed, especially from mixed environment. I don't know how well the Go install goes for Windows. I mean, I'm sure it's they have a very good easy. Engine, it is okay, but I mean, so is the Python install. So like, ugh. but I mean, at this point, Python at least has seniority too in a management perspective. So it's very easy to deploy. It's I feel like Python's almost designed more for system administrators than Go is. You know, like it just it I, feels more comfortable. You can do so much with it. You know. I mean, the standard library certainly accomplishes more. Mm. I think that saying that is really broad and sort of, I think it's a shitty thing to say. I think you're There's no, like, like, no, I'm a just saying like, say. it's a shitty thing to say. You're a bad person. You should feel bad. <laughs> Python by no means was developed for systems administrators mm. or, or anything like that. And that's why it's a shitty thing. And you should feel bad. Do we know why it was developed? Why Python was developed? Yeah. What I think... What's I think it was Sergio meant. I don't know. It's some Italian his, sounding name. I can't remember. I don't the know Python his owners. name. Yeah, I'll look it up. We'll put it in the show notes. But why was it developed? Mm -hmm. I feel like I do know the answer to this, but I feel I'm almost positive it was written as an answer to Perl, which was explicitly designed for sysadmins. I really thought it was meant for like rapid prototyping, and it was meant to be accessible for more people. We'll do some research. We'll see we'll if do we can some get an research. answer for you. We'll put it in the errata, whatever. Yeah. But, you know, We're good we'll like see. That. Cool. So that being said, you know, mixed environment, you really need to consider this stuff. Another option, if you've just got like Linda, Linux and Windows servers, which I feel is probably the majority of, of deployments, right? Um, yeah. A mix, like in that sense, either yeah. Windows clients and Linux servers or Linux servers and Windows servers, stuff like that. I feel like that's the most common situation. Most of our listeners yeah, are going to find people themselves. people are not like, using Alubo. Yeah, so. right. Or plain old Unix. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or Mac OS's server components. Yeah, for sure. I feel like that's the most common. Or, and it's really rare to find an all Windows shop now, too. So it's, it's mostly mixed environment, I would say. Mostly Windows and Linux. But... Now, you do have other options for your Windows components to make them fit nicely into Linux, and that is WSL, the Windows Linux subsystem, and Sigwin. I haven't tried WSL at all. I've tried all of maybe five minutes of it, so I haven't played around with it too much. But it's, I don't know, I want to play around with it because I want to see how well they did it. I don't know how they really manage it, and I don't know how well it integrates into the rest of Windows. Oh, by the way, like I forgot to mention this with Python. Another neat thing is Python has OS-specific modules that you can, again, you can check which platform the script is running on and then accordingly run a certain function or run a certain routine or whatever. For instance, there is the WinReg module, which allows you to access the Windows registry. Obviously, it's only for Windows machines. Although I think you might be able to run it on Linux and access... No, no, sorry. It's, it only works for Windows. There is the plist module yeah. for Mac. Mm -hmm. And for Linux, you know, you have a whole slew of shit. But thankfully, Wasn't most it? of Linux is plain text conf. So you yeah. can just parse it with like config parser or write your own parser for that. Yeah. Sorry, what? Wasn't there somebody who made a sort of like Windows registry equivalent for Linux that modified configurations? Oh. 
Um, but but it was accessed and laid out in a similar fashion. Are you talking about what was it? Algeus? Something like that? No, no, no. I'll look it up. Yeah, look it show up. Show notes. We'll put it in show notes. Yeah, because that. I mean, that sounds interesting as release. Uh, that sounds like Algeus to me. I, wait, let me check the name on that real quick. No, it's not. Do you know what it is? No. No, I mean, do you know what Algeus is? Oh, absolutely. Okay, so it's definitely not Algeus. Oh, oh, are you talking about Gconf? And uh, Dconf? That Dconf or Gconf? Yeah, Gconf's the newer Dconf, basically. I, I or maybe don't think the so. other way around. No, I know what Gconf is. I don't think that's what. It yeah, is. well, they basically do what the registry does. They source settings in like binary blobs, and you know, to use a, a custom. I mean, there is a way to edit that with Python. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I don't. I know. think that's what you're talking about. But you know, look it up. We'll put it in the show notes. If not, obviously, I'll link to everything I just mentioned. So yeah. we'll work from there. Great. So. Yeah, back to Windows Subsystem and Sigwin. I have used Sigwin a fair bit back when I was managing Windows boxes and even on my Windows VM now that I use for testing, just because it's easier to SSH into a Windows box than it is to, you know, yeah. like VNC in or, or whatever, remote desktop, whatever. They, I, I have questions as to how, like what the purpose of Sigwin is now that Windows has implemented the Windows Subsystem for Linux. You know, I'm curious to see where the project well. goes. Like, you still have, yeah. like, you know, there's a package manager of sorts. Oh, does WSL not have that? I thought it was basically like it a may. full Ubuntu or Debian or whatever you choose install. Unsure, but it may. But is it as complete? I guess, yeah, we'd have to figure that we'll out. We'll have too. to figure it out. I we feel like WSL... We don't know anything about anything, so <laughs> probably stop listening to us. Yeah. Well, maybe not go that far, but I feel like WSL is closer to like a CH root from a Windows host. Yeah. I mean, obviously you can't do that, but I feel like analogously, Maybe. That's, that's how that's closer to what it is. Sigwin is more of like, it feels more like, like Virtuoso, like OpenVZ, where it's like a, oh, a limited CH root kind of a thing. Bummer. Yeah. Because they're like, did you know you cannot use the WinRidge module in Sigwin? You're still running on Windows. You're using the Windows kernel, but you cannot use the WinRidge module. Really? Yeah. It's so weird. It's so that's, weird. That is weird. It It's, yeah. It's it's fucked up. Like, Sigwin at this point just seems limited to me. But whatever. I mean, it's still an option. You can still SSH directly into a Sigwin instance. All sorts of neat stuff with it. And then lastly, when it comes to, like, mixed environments, the last thing I have to say, I'm sure you two can contribute, last thing I have to say about this is centralized off. It, oh, it's yeah. not going to solve all your problems, but fuck me if it doesn't solve a lot of them it's so much easier to do ldap do tied into active directory just or, do or however you want to do it oh we did have skip on what was the name? striker not skip striker. we had striker on striker. talk about to free talk IPA. about free ipa exactly yeah and that helps a lot even mac os can can join ldap so like a i lot of have can join LDAP. something to add go for it configuration management tools are your friend in some cases oh, yeah, yeah. If you're running Puppet, as an example, and I always default to that because that's what I use, mm -hmm. you know, a custom exec that's written for Linux is very obviously not going to work on Windows, but you can do conditionals and check the operating system and shit like that. Mm -hmm. It abstracts a little bit the operating system from what you're actually doing, so creating user accounts and shit like that, it will help you more consistently manage a mixed environment. Yep, and Ansible can do this too. I believe there is a Windows Ansible port. I believe, Peyton, can you confirm for this? If that one coworker, I don't know if he's okay with me saying his name, but I think all three of us know who it is. No. If know. that one coworker of yours, I know he was at one point playing with Ansible. Has he confirmed that it works on the older Unix box? Boxes it's not. It's not who you're thinking of. It's somebody yeah. else. But and we are not. We have not done Ansible yet. I don't. I don't think you actually deployed it in production, but I think he was testing it. 
He was testing it somewhere else, not where we're not where I'm currently at. Oh, okay. I thought he. Uh, no, oh, fuck. What was AIX? He said Ansible works with AIX. Do you remember that? It's possible. He's not really that to me, but it is something that we are looking at okay. starting to interesting do more of. Okay, cool. Yeah, so for those not aware, AIX is another old-school-styled Unix, it, only it's pretty beefy. It's great for, like, mainframe-type models. Well, it's actually, when you say that it's older, I mean, it, yeah, it's older, but it's got a lot of really, it's, really cool utilities in it. It's still and, being maintained. Well, yeah, we'll put it that way. and it's also, I mean, if you want to get into Unix, it's definitely Unix. You know, it's not, mm-hmm. it's not Linux, Linux, not BSD. It's Unix. and It's Unix. Yeah. Yeah, so that's AIX. I, that's who owns that? AT and T, right? No, IBM. IBM, uh, right? Duh! What the fuck? Yeah, IBM. So check that out. And I it mean, runs it, really well on it's, power, it's, by the way. It's what? It runs really well on power. Power. Oh yeah, the power, seven, power eight, market. Yeah, yeah, the power systems. Yeah, that's true. It's basically their flagship OS for the it power is. system. It really is. Yeah, it's actually. I mean, it's super durable. Mm-hmm. And it's also kind of annoying because you log into but it. But it also, and you're, well, it also runs like shit on non-power. So like, no, you we know, have you, it on some. Well, it's optimized. We have it on some non-power power stuff, power. and it's fine for that. So no, it it works, but you're not going to see the same performance yeah. boost that you see on sure. AIX on power. Yeah, but uh, so keep that. In mind. It does shit with K shell, so you know you have to like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I hate K shell. Yeah, way. but I do seem to remember him. This guy that you work with. I seem to remember him saying in IRC, I'll have to check my logs, saying that Ansible does work with AIX. So it's distinctly possible. I mean, yeah, it's just Python, too. Well, yeah, but there's some it's a little bit more complex than saying it's just Python, too, you know, because a lot of it is modules and OS interactions and things like that. No, you No you. So. uh, Oh my gosh. So Ansible. I think like, there's a delay. Like Jathan was saying, shut up. Like Jathan was saying with Puppet, Ansible also, like it, it allows this cross platform user management and other task management type stuff. Oh my gosh, you guys. You drive me nuts. So I think I'm done with this. Jathan, was that the only thing you had to add? Pretty much. I mean, I think everything you said is worth considering for mm-hmm. whoever's listening, whatever. I don't have a lot of specific advice. I do, admittedly. I rely on Puppet to simplify a lot of my cross-platform needs. And I know I shit on you for using Puppet, but like, honestly, you guys listening, any config management will simplify your life, no matter what it is. Yeah. 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 You know, like, I know I shit on Jathan for using Puppet and stuff. Like, Grand, he walked into that situation, you know, he didn't even choose it. But, like, at the end of the day, anything is better than nothing, so... Keep that in mind. Oh, and I think we talked about Rconfig, too. Rconfig is another... We're, we're getting off track. We are. Rconfig is for, like, network gear and stuff. Oh, networking equipment. Yeah, yeah, that is a really good one. Yeah. Also, I will say, I think you can even manage, like, fucking switches and shit with Puppet these days. I don't know. Yeah, We don't. I don't. There's a lot of stuff I worked into that, but... I believe yeah. you're correct in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a module for it. I believe there's a factor for it, too. Almost, maybe not a module, a factor. I think there's a factor for it. Well, for any device you're managing with Puppet, there has to be a factor. Yes, right. Yeah, that's, that's what I mean. Right, cool. And so, yeah, Puppet does have a whole section of their docs for network device yeah, management. right. Cool. Yeah. Okay, Payton, do you have anything to add? To oh, this man. As far as... I mean, I have a workstation network that's Linux, and so I, I do a lot of my work from that, but occasionally I work from mm-hmm. home, and so... I have a laptop that I have to use, and I mostly use that to connect to my network, and then I open up Tmux, and I do all my stuff from there, so... Now, is that is your client machine Linux or Windows? I seem to remember it being Linux. 
The workstation network is Linux. I'm talking about your remote workstation, your laptop or whatever. My laptop is, is that... Windows. Okay, got it. And, and it's... what do you do? You use Putty with that, or do you use the Sigwin or, or I use Moba. Moba, uh, that's the new one on the yeah, that's the oh, new, new guy on the Moba Xterm. Xterm. And I like there's a new version of Moba that we have, and I mean it's not bad. We have to get stuff approved before we can use it, so it's sure. kind of a pain in the ass to like, yeah, can yeah. I have Putty? Yeah, can I have this? And they really yeah. want you to be like, why? They want you to tell them why they're going to put it on there. It's really weird. Sure. I have the power to shut down every single server, every single Linux but server. You still need but I need, I need to... admin rights on my laptop to be able to do anything. It's just like, um, yeah. I mean, y- you understand is... what I can do. Just bring this entire company down, but I, I mean, still need you know, approval to I need, install. But I need approval to install freaking Putty or a SSH client on my laptop. Sigwin, yeah. what have you? You know, yeah. it's really dumb. And we did this whole uh, just to go off on a little tangent. We did this whole thing where we got crazy about USB devices. So they oh sure, I mean they're you a couldn't mess. use yeah. yeah you couldn't use a third party keyboard. You had to use one provided by the company. You know we did talk about this. We'll link to the episode. Yeah. But that's, um, yeah, that's, that's so insane. I mean, realistically, I use the laptop itself, the Windows laptop for mm-hmm. email, any sort of conversation. I do. I have all of my work is on that lap. All of my actual like work I have to do is on that laptop. Mm-hmm. And so I use the, the I use the workstation as my primary. Like I'm connecting servers. This is what I use. But then I use the laptop for you know reaching out to people, emailing, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. We're not allowed to install like Mutt or an email client on our workstations because it's of security purposes. So mm-hmm. I have to use the Windows environment to do all those things. It's kind of a pain in the rear. I mean, you know, sure. but we've got workarounds and stuff like that. So it's not that bad. Mm-hmm. When I first started there, you could have your own keyboard and now you can't, which I've been really distressed about. Yeah, I like yeah, my mechanical, is, what can I say? You know? I mean, that makes sense, though. I mean, there are, it's really easy to hide devices in anything that uses USB. Well, we had a big problem because they didn't want to use stuff from China, but then we were using Lenovo. <laughs> And I was like, the irony is just speaking to me right now. There's something here that I just, it's there. I can see it. I just, yeah. you know, I'll figure it out eventually, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is that is a little bit silly. But uh, yeah, so as far as administering Linux from a Windows machine, it is possible. You certainly mm-hmm. can do it. It's definitely not as hard as like, say, managing Windows from a Mac, mm. especially back when Macs were not quite as popular as they are now you know mm-hmm. and as far as windows 10 the windows system subsystem for linux i've actually got a windows 10 vm and i propped up the wsl and it's actually pretty neat okay now i mean you can use like apt-get and all that stuff, stuff yeah yeah right inside yeah, it, yeah, right? yeah yeah okay. yeah it's, it's the i mean there are some things that you can't run properly like you can't host a web server or something like that interesting it's more like a ch root than like an actual running system hmm but you yeah. can, your mounted drives are found in your LS block and, and whatnot, so you can just navigate to them. It's, if you wanted to run Windows and have Linux, you could do that. Like, mm-hmm. it's not Arch, it's not Ubuntu, it's Windows with Linux. Okay. And it's... Obviously not the Linux kernel either. Fine, stuff like, but at the yeah. same time, it's like, you can run Bash, you can do Bash scripts, you can do things like that. It's enough for you to maybe develop programs for Linux on. Yes, you can definitely okay. develop programs. You can definitely, you know, do the things sense. you need to do. If you absolutely had to administer from Windows, you could use these things to do so. Mm-hmm. But things that would theoretically, like, require 
admin privileges on the host, like running Nginx, which would require access to a privileged port. Right. That right. that is out of the question. Yeah, you okay. can't start it because it's. I mean, it just doesn't have the dependencies available to it. Like it, it oh, just won't work. Interesting. Actually, the best person to talk about that kind of thing would be Rich. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, we should we should get him on for our listeners who don't know Rich's Rich Forge. Yes, Forge. He's been on the show. He's been on what two of our shit shows? He's Rich? been on two of the shit shows, and he's been a guest several times. That's so right. You should, yeah. you should know him by now. Yeah. So we'll, we, we definitely should get him back on. What an ass. Whatever. Jathan, you love him. <laughs> you know who else we should get on, actually, and have talk about this as well as Taters. So we should get Rich mm, and Taters yeah. on and have another a, a part two of this and have them yeah, just bicker sure. back and forth about. Because I know they've they, I, I definitely know both of them have also done yeah. a lot of cross platform stuff, too. So, yeah, I would love that. Maybe not the next episode, because next episode, I no. we're no. doing the Gogs thing. Yeah. But maybe after that. So. Yeah, we'll get in touch. Well, actually, unfortunately, Rich right now doesn't have a workstation, so he's got to do all his work from, oh. the lap, from the laptop. And so he's definitely like, you know, he can give you grouse about all the little things. Like, he doesn't have Tmux <laughs> available to him. And oh, we had to, we, I had to give him access to my workstation, and one of the other guys did the same. And so he could actually have, like, Tmux that he could develop. And sure. It's it's a pain in the rear, he's, man. That, oh, that's right. Forge is now working with you, yes, right? Yes, he is. We're the yeah. same company. Yeah, yeah. cool. Yeah. Cool. So yeah, well, I'd love to get both Forge and Taters on here to talk about cross-platform stuff and like a part two of this. But I think with that, we're going to close out the cross-platform stuff for now. Jathan, would you like to bring us into the baddie? Oh, this is going to be a good one. Oh boy. Yeah, I would. So, baddie. Mm -hmm. A lot of our baddies in the past have focused on, sorry, my other laptop sort of locked itself, so I'm like logging in. (laughs) A lot of our baddies, we've had some pretty funny ones. We've had some really catastrophic ones. A lot of them, as of late, tend to be like, whoever leaks the most important data gets the fucking baddie. In this case, you may or may not have heard about this, but 92 million account details for DNA testing site MyHeritage were leaked. Mm -hmm. So, on Monday, it is now June 6th, it's a Wednesday, so two days ago, June 4th, MyHeritage announced a security researcher had uncovered tens of millions Tens of millions. I think the total number is around 92 million of account details for recent customers, including email addresses and hashed passwords. So what I will say, you know, this is not like an S3 bucket filled with people's DNA. Yeah, Yeah. that is a lot. No, that's not tens of millions. That's literally almost 100 million is how you say that. Well, that's ridiculous. Reading the goddamn headline. Yeah. I know, it, I know. It, it is I, a little I, You didn't write the fucking article, but like, it's not astounding. This oh, all right, sorry. So keep going. here, I, I'm just mind blown. Here is so here's the good news, right? The passwords are hashed. It does not really clarify whether or not they're salted or how they're hashed or anything else. But mm. here is my contention with this, and this is why my heritage is getting a baddie and never my fucking business. <laughs> if you are handling people's fucking DNA, which well potentially gives rise to health information and shit like that. I don't give a fuck who you are. I don't care how much money you have. I don't care who your clients or customers are. You're a fucking bad person if you leak that information. Well, you should feel fucking bad because right now there is a law in place that we cannot discriminate against people in terms of issuing insurance or anything based on their genetic composition. Mm-hmm. However, that doesn't mean that law will be there forever. It also means, you know... We've talked about this shit before, the, the episode, we talk about it every fucking time. And you can't, and you can't unleak time. something. Right. You can't unleak something. But what's fucking worse about it is, if you find out that somebody you work with or whatever has some serious health condition because you found it on the fucking internet, mm-hmm. 
it leads to discrimination. It leads to you having information about how you could potentially hurt that person. Mm-hmm. I would never have my fucking DNA sequenced for any of these companies. I don't give a fuck about my ancestry or any of that shit. Like, I know who my parents are. I know who my grandparents are. Well, it's good I more or less you know who we came from. Are. It's good enough for me. Like, I do not want to fucking deal with the consequences of somebody having a fucking copy of my DNA ever, period. And this yeah. is exactly why. And I remember at Hope 11 in 2016, oh, gosh, this fucking woman yeah. was pushing, 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 like, you have to go do 23andMe. It's such a great thing, and you <laughs> learn so much. And I understand that sentiment, and I agree you learn a lot, and I think it can be very beneficial for you to have that information. However, what's not beneficial is when it's not you who has that information. So do yourself a fucking favor as a goddamn adult and make the decision to not ever have your fucking DNA sequenced. What? Like... Until Whoa. we have a way to do this that's actually fucking secure. I think this is not the a most, fucking good idea. This is the most fired up we've seen Jathan. Yeah. On anything. Today? This is great. No, no on anything. No, not ever. I, I no, think, not I ever. Think ever. Fuck you. Nah, at least, you're at wrong. least on this show. I get fired up about the duckies, so. You weren't this fired up, though. You no. were, yeah. The fucking duck rape but, thing, you were not this fired up on. You were a little fired up about anyway, the ducks, but not this fired up. But, no, I mean, that's a great point. Anyway. Anyway. Yeah, exactly. The whole thing is super fucked. Like, Mm -hmm. anybody who says, like, oh, I'm going to do 23andMe, the first thing I say, I look them straight in the fucking eyes, and I'm like, you are a huge dumbass. (laughs) Like, their fucking privacy policies... No, not maybe. That's the right thing to say. No, Their privacy policies are full of fucking holes. You have no idea how long they're storing your data, where they're storing your data, anything else. (laughs) It's fucking trash. It's a fucking travesty mockery. It's bullshit. <laughs> Jay, okay. I'm sorry. It's a what? It's a who? Travesty mockery. What is a travesty mockery? Travesty mockery? We, no, that's a word. I've, I've never heard I'm, of I'm travesty gonna have to look mockery. T r a v e s h a m o c k e r y. I've never heard. Used of to that. explain I've something that is a travesty, a sham, and a mockery. That sound. That sounds like an urban dictionary it's thing. Definitely to me. made. I'll up. put it in the show notes. It's from a well, commercial. Definitely. Oh, okay. by the way. Well, definitely it's not up. canonized and official. Okay, whatever. Right. My However, point, my point it doesn't being, matter. No, no, I'm not done. No, 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 I'm no, going no, back no, no, on no. this Hold shit. on, hold on. Just let me say something. Clam down, okay? Jaython. Clam down. Simadana. Sima. I understand that they may be an idiot for wanting to do it, but you need to understand that maybe telling them they're an idiot will not be the best, so, strongest case I have. make. I have a story about this, actually. Rich's yeah. sister went online and did the 23andMe, and mm. they sent her the results, and they said potential grandfather, and listed this guy's name, and come to find out that... Oh, wow. That's well, creepy. I won't get too much into it, but it wasn't his grandfather. He's got a brother he didn't know about. <laughs> yeah, and that's fucked up. Like, maybe you want to know that, but also maybe you fucking lived the last 40 years of your life not knowing that, and that's okay, too. So here's the fucking thing, though. The other thing that I I have a huge problem with this is, like, you know, you get this report back, and there are now some more restrictions on what can be provided in terms of, like, what do we consider a medical diagnosis and not. Sure. So, you know, they can't just send this to you and be like, you're probably going to get cancer, but they can say, like, pretty suggestive things still. And people are... It's not coming from a fucking doctor, though. And mm-hmm. I'm all for DNA testing 
in terms of individualized, personalized medicine and making a diagnosis, right? If somebody has some rare disease and we can definitively say they have this or they don't because we check their DNA, I fucking believe in that. But that's a goddamn hospital, a medical institution, a doctor taking care of that. It's not some fucking idiots from the goddamn internet. You are so fired up. So fired up. I love it. So So, Because I manage a huge fucking amount of DNA and I I take it very seriously and I think it's a fucking huge deal like people don't fucking think about it. They don't no, understand. I'm not. Shut I'm not up. saying you're they wrong. They don't understand the goddamn risk. You need to calm down. For I like know I'm not wrong. I'm goddamn so right. Can, so we can talk about it. It's time this. for me to have a. I'm talking about it. Drink. It's time for me to have a big head. I know I'm right. Drink. Now okay. you can talk. Okay. Take a drink. Right. Now right. my question for you is, and I'm I want you beard. to answer this calmly. Take ten deep breaths. I'm calm. Are you sure? <laughs> no, I don't think he's calm. You're not sure that you're calm. Well, get calm and then answer me. We're getting naked. Are these DNA analysis companies, these privatized DNA analysis companies, are they required to be compliant with HIPAA? Yes or no? No. Okay. That to me is terrifying. I don't know. Okay. You don't know. I'll accept I don't. So here's why. Is if you, you know, the human genome made up of four letters, A, G, C, T, whatever the fuck, right? Yeah. Can you you copyright someone's entire? What? Also not really sure. Mm. There has been companies that have copyrighted a particular parts of the genome. Yes, I think that you can try, but you can try, and, and, and because there has been because well, yeah, now we can for... synthesize novel DNA. But all right, it doesn't matter. So hold on. Well, that's if been you have GMA, GMO my... stuff, Peyton. Okay, all right. Sorry, if you have yeah. my entire genome. Yes, every fucking letter of it. Yes. To me, and I will have to look this up, and I will fucking look it up, and I'll write a segment for the goddamn show notes. I. Believe, believe that that falls under HIPAA only if you store the data from where it came from. If the person who sequences uh, the DNA does not actually have that information, mm. I don't know that it's a HIPAA issue. However, what I think that these companies do to negate that as well mm-hmm. is we have a reference genome, right? So we have what we call a reference genome. They sequence, you know, hundreds of thousands of people's genomes. And the most common base at every single position we put together, and we call this the reference. It's the standard, right? Oh, okay. So it's like an So what a lot of these companies do... Kind of. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, as it turns out, the reference genome that we use for humans is actually really flawed because it's mostly white males and blah, 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 and all kinds of other shit. But that's sure. a different topic for, you know, bioinformatics. Well, by definition, I guess it, it has trivia. to be majority but again like all these all these companies are mostly based in the u.s where white male so yeah so here's here's how i think you negate here's one of the ways i think you negate Hmm. potentially and again i have no idea i think that this is one of the ways you negate needing hipaa compliance though you don't store the person's genome you only Hmm. store the differences to the reference Hmm. oh shit and the reference is pretty easily accessible I mean, is that like public domain or anything? Oh, you could download it anywhere. Oh, shit. Go to NCBI and type in HG38, and you'll find a link somewhere to the reference genome. It's, <laughs> it's totally available. <laughs> so it's, it's basically just a pass so, to the reference. Right, exactly what it is. It's a diff. And that um, would... Which, by the way, did you know, actually, uh, there's a tool. Is it GDIF? I don't know why you're asking it's me. It's like a graphical... Oh. I'm pretty sure it was actually invented by a bioinformatician. Oh, to okay. Compare genomes. Then it might be genome diff. Anyway, though. Graphical, but. No, no, I actually think it's GDIF because it's written in, like, GTK. Oh, huh, okay. So it was written by an... Anyway, though. Anyway. Okay. 
Yes. So I, I want to say, I want to disclose, I don't actually know, but I will look it up and we will put it in the show notes because mm-hmm. now I'm fucking mad and I want to know. We should in call a case, bunch though, of these DNS providers and, or DNA and analysis providers and be like, yo, are you HIPAA compliant? It'd be great. We, but, we, okay, we should find out. We should, we we could should find out. Okay, keep right going. Yeah. So like, take everything I just said with a grain of salt. Whether or not it falls under HIPAA, it doesn't change how I feel about it for that reason. So sure, sure. Yeah, specifically, I mean, I, I'm, this, I'm, I'm there with you. I agree. I just don't. We. <laughs> you're just very fired up about it. Yeah, I am. In <laughs> biology, we talk about SNPs, SNP, which is a single nucleotide polymorphism, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. So if what does that do? most people at your hundredth base in your genome, this is also like these numbers, I'm making them up to make it simple, right? Sure. If at your hundredth base in your genome, the reference says it should be an A, but you have a G, we call that a SNP. A single nucleotide is different. Okay. Okay. So what most of these DNA testing services do, they don't actually sequence your entire genome because that's expensive. It takes a while. It takes a lot depending. of storage. It doesn't really anymore. Yeah. yeah. It is. It can be a lot of storage, whatever. Well, I mean, full genome is what, like 40 some gigs? I don't actually know. No, 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 no. I doubt it. Mm. What they do is they just look at the most common SNPs that can tell them about your ancestry and about potential health issues and shit like that. Mm -hmm. So my other contention with this service is like, if you're truly relying on it to learn about yourself and shit like that, they are not that accurate yet. There are Mm. many, many, many case studies done in academia, outside of academia, where people have been given like a, you know, it's a 90% chance that you're grandfather probably came from blah 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 yeah and in actuality is just fucking wrong because they're not seeing the full picture and Mm. yeah we do that a lot in science we use snips to determine a lot of general sort of trends and stuff like that but it is never a hundred percent so there's a lot of things that i have an issue with with regards to this yeah it's not just the storage it's not just the privacy policy it's not just the laws it's not just the potential to turn someone down for insurance because of their dna it's all of those also is just like yeah it can be a fun thing to do but you also have to realize where it's coming from how they're coming up with those values and you have to fucking realize that it's not set in stone well i did Mm. see in the article that they said that the dna was stored on a separate server which i was happy to see but I mean, at the same time, I'm curious. But you still, I mean, the attackers now still have access, potentially may have access to those results, right? And that's really what matters. Because right. I doubt yeah. these people have, no, I, doubt, from, I doubt these people have their own bioinformation processing data center. From what the article but, said, they had it stored on a completely separate server. Now, I don't but know how. if you log into the account that you now have details for, you can still probably download it. I mean, mm. sure, mm. sure. I mean, they were talking about the passwords being salted, possibly, you know. I mean, the fact that they left all the information out in the fucking web on some unknown server doesn't instill me a lot of faith. So, I mean, I'm being more devil's advocate than anything else here, you know. Yeah, yeah, that is, that's true. I was going to say, I, that was another thing, but I see what you're saying. It's protected by ACL and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was, Jathan alerted me to another leak. What was it? Last year, Jathan? The one you... January 2018. Yeah, where that was basically just unfettered access to the data, right? Like, there was no compromise. I actually didn't read it. The the only reason I even thought to look it up is because we had originally labeled this as the first DNA leak, and I was like, that was my bad. Yeah, that was my bad. But yeah, we'll we'll link to the other one we found, or Jathan told me about, too. I haven't read the details of that, but I think that one was even more serious of a breach. But yeah, no, it's super fucky. Super we, fucky. had his good rant for the night. He got some stress out. You feeling yeah. de-stressed now, Jay? I feel, feel like I... Lucy-Goosey? 
I feel much better. Yeah. There you go. That's, that's good, dude. Okay. Glad to hear that you feel better. This has been Holy stress release cow. administrivia. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> he was fucking fired up, that was, man. That was intense. I was like, he was a runaway train. You need to be I that intense like, there, every no episode. Every episode from now on. Off the rails. <laughs> Off Every the fucking Pro rails. plays Turner out. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh my god. All right. This has been System Ministrivia. I'm Brent. I'm Angry John. <laughs> and I'm. That's a much better cowboy name. Peyton. And. Yeehaw. There you go. See you around. <laughs>